Welcome to A Day in the Life. I'm Darren Bloomfield, your host. Joining me today is Sung Yu, our risk manager. Uh, we met at RIMS uh, a few few months ago at an event and have kept in contact and just wanted to bring you on and just uh, explain to us a little more about the, the risk manager career path and your day-to-day -day and how your, your past experience in, in insurance uh, got you to where you are. Yeah, so... Glad to be on, uh, Sung Yu from Regal Rexnor Corporation. Uh, I'm the director of uh, global risk and property management here. Uh, I've been here for about nine months now, and it's been a it's been a fun ride. And looking forward to the the, the conversation. Yeah, definitely. So, can we go through kind of your your background a little bit? Like, uh, you you were an underwriter for like five years, uh, and had some other experience as well. Like, how? How do you think uh, that background helped you prepare to, to be a risk manager of kind of knowing like what, what an underwriter would look for when they're evaluating your, your insured that you're, you're working for internally? So, um, yeah, before the being at Regal Rexnord, I was at Takeda Pharmaceuticals. I was the USS manager there for five years. And then prior to that, I was at um, Chubb, which I was actually an ex-ACE employee uh, for about five and a half, six years. So I was a global casualty property underwriter. And prior to that, I was uh, two years as a brokerage um, at ECBM as an associate broker. But I think my experience at being an underwriter helped um, quite a bit because there wasn't one particular, you know, line of insurance that I really enjoyed underwriting, but I got to learn. I got to dip my hands in a different types of insurance, like uh, like auto uh, general liability, products liability, property, uh, business travel, so and, and even KNR. So I got I got to dip my hand in a lot of different types of insurance coverages and the technicality aspect. Um, as a risk manager, you need to answer coverage questions. You know, if if you if the general counsel of your company or the CEO of your company gives you a call and asks, "Hey, do we have this covered or what's excluded?" You don't have time to go back to your brokers and they rely on you as an expert. So for me, as the um, when I was at Chubb, uh, being an underwriter, where I had a lot of uh, you know, um, I thought I had uh, I was more on the technical side of things, and the fact that I was able to write endorsements and you know review coverage lines and explain coverages to risk managers um, kind of helped me, led me to becoming a you know uh, becoming a successful risk manager. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and especially how how you put it up. You're the the in-house expert for for the company as a whole, being like kind of that experienced buyer, sophisticated buyer, and then uh, just kind of like like you're kind of on the spot, you know, like you you have to know uh, what's going on. And I, I really like the way you put it. Like there's there's not time to always defer to to the brokers that that you're you're working with. Yep. No. Exactly. That's um. And again, it's uh, it's. You know, um, the, my, my personality and expertise kind of fit the risk manager role, but again, the underwriter role was also, was also great. And, you know, I um, wouldn't have left the position if, it was, if I didn't get the opportunity to cater. So kind of on the note of, of using uh, the, the brokers and kind of picking who you're, you're working with and, and taking uh, the, the most uh, advantage of, of those specialties that, that they have uh, to offer. How do you kind of 
go about that and, and understanding where where these brokers can add value to, to what you're doing internally with, with risk controls and benchmarking to, to your peers and, and finding out uh, where you need to have coverage. Yeah, so, you know, as a risk manager, it's, it's your job to understand the, the risk of the, of the company that you work for, the types of insurance coverages that are available, and then the insurance structures that the company should consider. So I'm an expertise, I'm an advocate for insurance or, you know, risk financing for my specific company. Brokers work with hundreds of different clients. They're going to have the data, what type of insurance they purchase, what kind of losses they see. Um, so, you know, we mainly work with brokers. We, we rely on brokers um, who are experts in different types of insurance, like, like a financial line where it's DNO, uh, fiduciary insurance versus liability, and there's properties. There's so many different insurance lines out there that you want the expert in that specific field to provide you consulting on what the trends are in the marketplace and, um, and then who has the relationships with the underwriters um, and that, I think that the, I think the relationship portion is a very important aspect, but also, uh, it's important for them to understand, you know, risks for Regal Rexnord. Um, they, you know, it's, it's surprising that depending on the underwriter, they might have an expertise in writing manufacturing, uh, facilities versus farms or hospitals. So it, it does vary and you want to work with the. Um, the expert gets that has that's knowledgeable in your field, um, and because you want to make sure that they're providing the right information, uh, right types of coverage and limits, um, because that's directly going to be uh, reflected on your recommendations to your C-level suite um, in your company. Yeah. So, so kind of what you're saying of of you know you're you're internally the risk manager. You're going very deep into you know the one company that you're representing but then on on the brokerage side they kind of have that that pulse on the market have that understanding of what's going on in this this peer group and just other trends on the more holistic uh, market of, of what's going on how how would you uh, recommend that somebody earlier in their career would kind of decide if if they want to uh go into like the brokerage or underwriting side and have more variety and a broader exposure to, to businesses uh, or work for, you know, one insured as, as a risk manager, how would you just, how would you uh, advise someone to kind of make that decision? I, I personally believe, and this is, this is how I approached it was um, working with a larger company, like on the broker side or on the insurance company side and seeing various types of risk. Um, and understanding and kind of seeing what you what interests you, you, you want to be in a position where you're able to try different things versus when you're when you start at let's say at Regal Rexnord or Takeda Pharmaceuticals, all you're going to know is clinical trial insurance or you know insurance that a pharmaceutical company may need or a manufacturing facility may need. Um, so I I believe it's best to position yourself to open you up open yourself up to, you know, more opportunities in the future. So um, not that you can't go from a risk manager to a broker or underwriter or vice versa, but it's, um, you want to be in a position where you, you meet a lot of clients or meet a lot of different 
brokers and personnel, they can kind of help you provide uh, kind of um, their experiences and, you know, guidance on what you can do and what, you know, what, what, what's out there in the market. Mm -hmm. and, and kind of on that note, have you seen anyone coming, you know, out of college and going straight into the, the risk management side, maybe like an analyst, or is that not really like a entry level role uh, in, in that way? No, um, I, a number of my friends, again, I graduated from Temple University as a, a risk manager insurance major. So a lot of my friends did uh, go different ways. And um, I would say 80% of my, you know, peers went to an insurance broker uh, or insurance company or like a TP, like an insurance, you know, vendor related, like a, like a third party administrator where they handle claims or, you know, like the actuarial firms or consulting firms. Um, but there are a few handful of friends that uh, colleagues, you know, peers that have gone to the risk NSO and, and some have enjoyed it, some have not and came to the insurance company side. So I think, uh, honestly, I think it really does vary um, on the type of personality and type of person you are. Um, if you go into a risk analyst position um, and excel at learning about the single company, you have a good mentor, like a risk manager that's able to position you to an advancement as a, like an insurance manager or risk manager um, and then director of insurance. So I think it does vary on the company that you go into. Um, but there's, again, as there, there are companies out there that only um, to fulfill a like kind of a, a risk manager role, they want to look at just the analysts, you know, people who had prior company experience. So I think it, I think it does vary. I, I wouldn't be worried or, you know, concerned that just because you're in a risk analyst role uh, of a company that you can't venture out into a brokerage or um, uh, insurance company um, industry, because I think it, again, it, it depends on how much how much your willingness to learn and continue to improve your knowledge based on insurance. And as long as you have that, I think the insurance industry is a, is a wonderful place and there are just so many different variety of positions and roles out there for you. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Can, can you go back to what you were saying about kind of that, that personality of, of you know, how you learn or how you want to interact with others uh, and then lining it up to kind of like the lifestyle, like the lifestyle of, of how your career would kind of function is, is kind of different, you know, as the risk manager of, you know, your one client and your, your client is who you're working for uh, as, as a risk manager, but on the brokerage side, maybe more out of the office, more like lunches, more entertainment, uh, you know, kind of more selling lifestyle. Uh, can you, I mean, you've, you've seen, you know, all, all three sides there. Can you kind of talk about like that, that lifestyle, like how it's kind of different? Yeah, it's, it, it, it can vary, and again, it's, it's limited to how much you are willing to. Uh, it, it's limited, it's, it's, honestly, it's, it's kind of, it, it's limited to the effort that you put in, right? So um, as a underwriter, which I was, uh, for, uh, so I was a production underwriter, and, and my main goal was to go out and underwrite new accounts. Um, so I, I was always traveling on the road, meeting with brokers, meeting with risk managers, attending events. Um, to, for them to give us a submission, give us a shot at pricing their insurance. Um, that involved a lot of travel. And at that stage of my career, my first, first child was born. 
and I was I wanted a little bit of less travel. So I was kind of looking towards a more of an internal role, and you know, kind of the corporate role where you're like a referral underwriter. Um, but then the the Takeda Pharmaceutical jobs came, and it's you know, imagine I'm dealing. I used to deal deal with and meet with hundreds of brokers, underwriters, and other personnel. Uh, versus now I have a team of three at Takeda. Um, and my peers uh, and supervisor was in Switzerland, Japan, and London. So you don't get to meet them as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, 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 was, it was an adjustment period, but I didn't mind it. But for someone that was in a risk analyst role that, you know, that only worked with a team of one or a team of five, right? And then now you go to a... Um, underwriter city and now you're asked to visit 10 people each week right so it's, it's an adjustment but in terms of lifestyle you can make it as much fun as you want if you i mean just because you're an analyst doesn't mean the broker wants to see you downtown to have dinner to have lunch right some of them may not like to but it doesn't mean that you can't so i think it's, it's as long as you you know the individual puts in the effort you could enjoy the lifestyle however there are differences of where if you have a team of and in a risk management department, not all 10, we're going to be able to go to an annual RINS conference, right? Where, you know, I think next year is in San Francisco. It might be difficult to go to that because it's hard to send all 10 folks there. However, like you've been to, there are the local chapter events where, you know, like in Wisconsin or in Chicago, where you're able to attend, I believe there's a number of things in San Francisco and Indiana. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, St. Louis, Indiana, where there's there's local chapter events uh, where you can attend for low cost, low low to no cost at all. Um, so I think again, it's, it's 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 the effort that you decide to put in, and the opportunities are out there. It's just you know not many people know about them. Yeah, and kind of what you're saying is like on that that lifestyle piece. It's kind of who you're interacting with, and like how many people are kind of on on your team. And like, like kind of with that, like when you're internally, uh, how do you kind of figure out like, like what's going really, like what's really going on, you know, in, in the company that you're, you know, the risk manager as, cause that's not like, you're not only buying insurance. You're also figuring out if you can transfer or, or reduce the risk. How do you kind of gauge like your, your main exposures and who do you kind of talk to and like kind of build that that trust internally to figure out where where these you know exposures are. Yeah, I mean, I think it it it, it depends on a number of things. Um, first, it depends on the the company culture and the tour was uh, the, the culture towards you know risk and you know the buying attitude towards like insurance because you know some companies purchase insurance to stabilize their P and L. So you know, and to elaborate on it. If you buy insurance and to buy, you buy insurance, you don't have to worry about a loss because insurance will pay for it. Um, so a lot of companies, you know, there are a number of companies out there that will purchase insurance so their financials will be stable. It's limited to what, you, what the premium that you pay. Um, others like to spend less in insurance, invest more into risk mitigation and safety procedures. So in the past three years when, you know, we're kind of in a hard, market, hard cycle right now, um, you've seen more and more insurance, uh, more C-level leadership team asking their risk managers, hey, why is our insurance premium increasing so much? What can we do to do 
you know, you know, spend less on insurance or control the cost of insurance. Um, so there's you know, the risk management, um, the, the kind of the, the day in risk managers has changed significantly in the past five years as well. Um, secondly, it could be finance driven, um, bigger the company, they tend to self-insure more to reduce the total cost of risk. And if the company has, you know, great loss control and safety procedures and the ability to pay claims, you could increase your retention because you could control your losses, right? And uh, reduce your insurance premium. Um, third, uh, some companies like to have a better grasp of their insurance claims handling. Um, if you transfer, if you buy insurance um, and transfer the risk to the insurance companies, they manage the claims, they handle it, they settle how they fit. Versus if you have a, if you self-insure have high, have high retention um, of deductible, you have a better control of how you want to handle that claim. And then the last reason could be um, business operation driven. Um, so you really, you really do need to understand why your company buys insurance, because it could be, you know, minimum requirements of a contract that you have with a customer, um, the type of insurance and the type of industry or product that you sell or who your products are being sold to may, um, may determine if you need to buy insurance and how much insurance to buy. Like an example could be like a paper manufacturer has probably a very low liability, low chance of getting sued, so you buy less products insurance, but your product, your property risk is very high, so you buy, you buy, have to buy a bunch of property insurance versus if you're a consulting firm, you have very low, you know, um, general liability or products liability. However, you have a very high uh, professional and E&O, errors and emissions liability. So it really depends on your operations too. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting way to, to put it of like the, the culture, because like, like when you first say culture, you don't really think about, you know, their attitude towards towards risk, like as a company's culture. But but in this uh, instance, like that makes so much sense of like, like how the company would, would approach risk kind of determines like how much of it they're comfortable with and then how much they're comfortable with the, this risk kind of dictates like how much premium they're willing to spend, how much limits they, they want to buy. And then also, as you said, you know, at what point are you buying more insurance or are you, you know, in, investing money into like loss controls and, and reducing potential losses? Yeah. I mean, again, all of those are very important and, and it's, um, it's, it's, there, there are companies out there that are more than happy to just buy the same insurance over and over and over for the, you know, for the next 10 years. Um, and there are companies where they're always driving change. So it, 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 there's a number of factors that go into it. Not, nothing fits uh, the box, right, perfectly. Uh, no, no, not one way fits the box perfectly. But however, it's, um, again, it's, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, Regal Rexstart brought me into the company to, um, look at different ways because they have been kind of stagnant each year. And I really do enjoy looking, you know, having the opportunity to look at different ways of financing risk and looking at alternative risk transfers. Mm -hmm. So kind of in that, that plan, planning stage, how do you kind of approach that, like with budgeting or kind of factoring in, uh, like consulting, or if you're bringing in like engineers to do inspections on properties, and then also just with like the cyclical nature of, 
of the insurance industry, you know, like one year your premium might be going down, you know, 5% for the last three years, but then, you know, next year you might get a 50% rate increase uh, across almost all your lines of coverage. Like how, how do you kind of balance that, you know, because the people you're reporting to might, might see the cost going down and they might want to like shrink your budget, you know, year to year, but then you might, have that feeling that, you know, we might be going into a hard market and the rates might increase uh, more than your budget for it. Yeah. I mean, um, first it's, it's, it's important to note and understand that although insurance, you know, a lot of people in the insurance industry know that insurance is cyclical and it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's really difficult to time when you're going to hit a hard market. Um, you know, when it's in a soft market, when there's a lot of capacity out there, there's a lot of insurance companies are there's willing to offer coverage and high limits uh, at competitive rates. You know, those are good for risk managers and corporations. But you know, as as we know, history tells that hard market does come every you know 10, 15 years, um, and it's it's really hard to time that. Um, so. You know, as a risk manager, it, it is it is our job to ensure that the company, um, even though the premiums are going down, that we invest those savings into improving, you know, the company's quality of risk. So when the time does come uh, that it becomes a hard market, you're now a top tier risk that everybody else, every insurance company wants. Uh, and then then you have the best, although premiums have gone up and rates have gone up that you're in the top tier where, you know, you will get the best rate out of them. Um, so it's, those are the, the uh, and then again, if you work with the same underwriter insurance company for years, even though you're at a hard market, they know that you're such a good risk. They don't want to lose you as a, uh, as a client um, because you're a good risk. So they're, they're going to do their best to reduce the increase of the rate or premium um, Ensure that they that they that they continue to be their client. Yeah, um, that's that's the, that's the first. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was just gonna say that's a really interesting way to put it. Of just kind of like being that top tier risk and preparing for that kind of un, uncertain future of uh, just kind of with the concept of like the the risk pools. If you you know you're either like at the you know the the least risky in that group or you're you know the most risky and. At some point, you know, some companies might not even be able to get any insurance because if they're like seeing, like right now I'm, I'm, I'm working with some cyber insurance and like some companies, if they don't have certain controls in place, like the carriers will just, they won't have to offer insurance because there's there's so, so many other insureds out there that they can insure. So like in those hard market times, the carriers are able to be more selective with not even how much they charge but also where they want to like put up their capacity so i think that's really cool of kind of like having that that future like planning you know in mind and like oh like let's this might happen let's let's get ahead of it you know i think that's kind of a unique uh, perspective yeah and it's um and it's it's important to have leadership understand that you know insurance it may seem like it's a commodity but it's it's, it's, it's a way of transferring risk. You know, so you pay an extra dollar premium and they insure you to an X amount of limit, right? Um, and it's 
sometimes, depending on the industry you're in and the type of insurance, it's, it's almost a privilege for insurance companies to offer you coverage. So if you're not, if you're a bad risk in a hard market cycle, it's not a good place to be. And you, you need to make sure, again, we don't know when, when that hard market's going to hit again. And you, you, we do need to be prepared um, to make sure that, you know, you continue to improve your risk quality. And that, that's, and I know cyber is a huge topic now, but, you know, it was property, you know, five years ago, and it was DNO 10 years ago. So it's, 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 there's, there's, you know, there's, you never know which insurance line is going to significant, you know, go into a hard market cycle. Mm-hmm. Can you go deeper into kind of what you were saying of, of communicating with, you know, your, your managers, maybe they're more on like the finance side or more like the, the CFOs uh, versus kind of like that, that insurance side, maybe like you kind of speak a different language to an extent and kind of maybe like educate like that side a little more uh, and just kind of like, cause there might be kind of a gap in understanding with that. And then we kind of talked a little bit about like the centralized versus kind of decentralized yeah. uh, uh, models. If you can kind of explain that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, again, I think communication is very important. Um, you know, number one, commun- not only internally, but communicate, communicating with your risk manager peers um, in your risk, you know, in your RIMS community, brokers and insurance companies, it's, it's going to be very important because they're the ones that are going to have the first hand or first insight on, are we approaching a hard market? Which insurance line has been a difficult renewal? What can we expect? Uh, who's been good to you? So I think that's very important. And you need to have that knowledge base so you could prepare your internal stakeholders, um, like your executive team, um, and letting them know that, hey, we, you know, we, are, we should expect a X percentage increase because it's, you know, that's what my peers are experiencing. So that's very, very important. Um, but in terms of that corporate overview, uh, you're right. It, so it, there's the decentralized or the, or there's a centralized and a decentralized or like a holding company type of uh, model where centralized <clears throat> insurance is handled by a corporate function. Most risk, most um, risk managers and companies that have risk managers fall into this category where, you know, you're negotiating insurance on behalf of the entire corporation. And those are, those costs are then, you know, allocated by segment, by revenue, by the, the entities and are split out. Um, the benefits of that centralized model is you get the purchase power of the, the whole company. You're, you're now negotiating on behalf of a multi-million dollar, billion dollar company versus small companies as a whole. So you get, you get that negotiation power, you get, um, you're able to drive rates down because you're a bigger company. Um, and then you might, because you're now a larger company who, which results in a larger premium, you might have more leverage and um, additional coverage and achieve a kind of scale. The, the consequences that of that are uh, <clears throat> a bad experience at one product line or one entity could affect or impact rest of the corporation. So, you know, a big loss at, you know, a single entity may drive insurance cost up for the, you know, five others that, that might, you know, be consistent in your, uh, in your corporation. Um, there's a decentralized model where uh, Regal is, is um, 
although I negotiate on behalf of my as a corporation, a lot of the uh, the changes are changes in the retentions and the costs are pushed down to the different segments that we have. Um, which again, those are good because exposures for individual business segments are addressed separately. So each business segment, you know, you could address uh, uh, a claim or things that happen in a specific interior segment could be addressed individually and not out, and you could, you know, prevent it affecting your entire um, risk profile. Uh, but the, the, the consequence could be you, you might not be able to take advantage of the large, you know, the, the purchasing power that you had um, and also may create additional administrative work. Um, Regal is kind of a half and half way where we are centralized in some of that function. But again, I negotiate on behalf of Regal Rexnord and then we decentralize the in, on the back end to the different segments. Yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting explanation there. So kind of with like that, that centralized model, you know, it makes sense that you would have more buying power. So then you might be able to get more underwriters attention. They would see it as kind of a bigger account. Maybe the brokers would uh, kind of give you more attention with, with that concentrated buying power as well. Uh, but then as, as you said, like there's, a lot of work to be done on like clarifying the, the intent of coverage to kind of make sure that like each individual uh, business or like entity has, has coverage, you know, cause they could be doing different uh, operations and they can have different uh, exposures. But if you're making it very centralized then you need to make sure that all, all those exposures are addressed and then you're probably going to end up paying to have, you know, that, that manuscripted policy on the back end. Correct, correct. And, and, and then, you know, the more purchase power you have, you, you have more flexibility on, you know, a company manuscript. Um, you know, manuscript, it's, it's, it's a good concept, but you, you actually, you'd be surprised. You don't really run into, there's specific sectors that you run into it, but, but correct. It's, you want to, you, it's, Negotiating insurance for a, a corporation as a whole um, is one of the, the main benefits. But again, it, it, it does depend on the company culture because if you're a private equity or a holding company, you want it to be separate because you don't want a specific company within your you know, portfolio affecting the rest of the business. So I know like Blackstone negotiates on behalf of each entity or company that they hold within their, uh, you know, in, in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. And as, as you're kind of saying, Regal's in the, the decentralized model. And then, uh, you know, you, oh, you kind of were telling me that you just kind of went through uh, like a mergers and acquisitions uh, with like the companies. So that then you, you had to go through the process of kind of lining up. Like, uh, is there any overlap in uh, operations or overlap in exposures for like, are they kind of combining and becoming one bigger? Uh, business unit or like where's kind of the overlap for for negotiating uh, with, with like terms and, and conditions for it with the brokers and, and with the carriers can you kind of describe that process of, of the merger yeah um, so it was a you know prior to the merger you know our company was called our name Regal Beloit Corp we purchased the company called Rexford um, uh, or 80% of you know we purchased the the 
the process and motion control of Rexnor Corporation. So now since the merger, um, our company name is uh, Regal Rexnor Corporation. Um, and there was a $3.6 billion um, uh, a merger slash acquisition. Um, and no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough task. First, you know, anytime you have a, that large of a scale of a, uh, um, M&A activity, you first need to understand or analyze the risk profiles. Um, although it might seem like the same company, you need to truly understand what products they sell, how do they align with the products that we sell, and, uh, and the loss history, what type of losses have they had, compa compare the types of insurances that they purchased. So you align, literally line by line up, everything that they purchase, why they purchase it. Um, then you identify your broker relationships, your insurance carrier relationships, and other uh, vendor relationships that they have in place. Um, you also need to get together with, you, you know, and then you have the brokers to do a coverage comparison, coverage analysis, since there's no gaps when you roll the company into other. Um, and then there's the, uh, and, and then it's, you get to understand the business operations of, you know, why do they purchase such insurance at, you know, X limit when we buy half of that. Yeah. And it's truly understanding that. And, and it, it, it was like a nine month integration process of trying to go back and forth with their risk manager to ensure that, you know, the company that we're acquiring is adequately, you know, has insurance. And, 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 the, and the insurance that we don't, we also need to figure out synergy savings and, you know, determine which insurance we no longer should purchase. Um, because we think because, you know, they're self-insured or we already have insurance elsewhere. Um, so it's, um, it was a tough task, but it's, it's, it's in any acquisitions or any M&A activity this size, you, you truly do need to understand um, why something is being done in, in, in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting too, of just kind of how you said lining up, you know, one company, another company line by line. And then like, like you said that the synergy savings, like you could, there's actually, you know, like, I think that's kind of cool how you, you can save money. Like, even though your company as a whole, like got bigger, like there could be some redundancies in, in coverage or you, like you said, benchmarking wise, you might be able to purchase lower limits and like, just like overall saving that money for, for the company. Like if there wasn't, you know, a risk manager there going over that, then the, the insurance costs could have like exploded, you know, if somebody wasn't there, like going through that and uh, doing like diligence on, on that process, like they wouldn't have had those savings. They might've had gaps in coverage. And then also like they might've even ended up spending more money on, on insurance. Correct. And it was also, again, anytime it's, it's, it's this big of a um, M&A activity, you get a lot of questions of, well, how come their insurance was cheaper than ours? And, you know, are, are, are their brokers better than ours? And so those questions come up and it's, it's help, you know, kind of handholding uh, the segments and your leadership team to just explain to them that, you know, although they look similar, risk profiles were different and here's why. So that it's important to review every aspect of, um, it, the, the, the risk profile, the risks out there, their claims history, um, and, and, then, and then why they purchase insurance or why is their insurance structured the way it is. 
Yeah. So can you kind of describe what happens once, you know, you get the quote, you know, in hand, like, obviously, like, get, like the brokers are bringing you the quotes, and then like, you might have multiple options for multiple different lines of coverage. And like, you have to kind of know you're insured enough to like condense that. And then what are you showing like two, three options to like your managers or how, how does that kind of process go? Cause like, I'm sure you don't have like the time or, or energy to like present, you know, t- like 10 different quotes from, from the market for, you know, auto general liability and property and all the other lines of business. Um, it depends on what you're trying to achieve and what kind of circumstance you're in. Um, so if you, if there's a line of coverage that, um, had, that you had a good loss of three and if you, and most risk managers, at least the ones I know, don't market every program every year, it, it becomes a lot of work. Um, and so if it's a good performing line of coverage and the, uh, incumbent insurance company, um, have not given you much issues with the renewal code as, you know, same rates or better rates than you expected. I am not going to go market the program. It's going to be a same, you know, I'm, I'm just going to just present that one option as long as, as long as there's no surprises. Um, if you're in. Uh, the past, like like a cyber, for example, cyber insurance has been a big topic this year. Uh, I believe we approached like 25 insurance companies, and uh, even with the company incumbent insurance company that we had had a significant premium increase. So, for me to show to my leadership team on why our premium is three four times higher, and however this is the amount of effort that I've put in and the brokers put in. And this is um, where we stand. This is actually the best possible quote we achieved to, to show that you're gonna actually show all 10, 15 quotes that you received. Um, it might be just on a spreadsheet or just a quick hit, or you do it on like your monthly reviews with your supervisor or you know with the CFO and the general counsel who, who I report to. So it, it does vary on what you're trying to achieve. Um, so you know that's the insurance renewal, but also like if I'm proposing that we set up a captive or two other different types of alternatives transfers, um, you just need to make sure you, you have the right audience in front of you, and they may not want to see every option. They want may want to see the best option there, but again, I think it depends on who you work at, work and the level of trust that you have, and it's not really the level of trust, but you got to think. I only sit down, I, I've only worked on insurance every day in and day out. Um, because all, that's all I look at, you know, my focus might be elsewhere, right? So it's having that multiple set of eyes to look at it too is also helpful. So sometimes you may want, you know, so um, someone that's not insurance related to review all the quotes or review all the options to see, you know, why this is the way. So I think it, 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 it does vary on circumstance you're in the type of line of coverage and also the the culture that of the company or or you know, the person they report to uh is in yeah i think that's interesting of what you're saying of like it, it depends on like what situation you are in you know if you have to deliver well like a hundred percent increase for for cyber like you kind of need something tangible to come to the table and show kind of like cover yourself in in a way of like 
hey, like I did the best I can. My brokers did the best they can. Like this is just how it is. And here's, you know, all the quotes that I have. And they're they're saying the same thing. You know, it's it's the market. And I, I think that's kind of interesting. And and kind of on, on that note, like of of lining up, you know, the effective dates for for like renewals, if you have all the effective dates on on you know the same day same calendar year all renewing all all lines of of coverage that might be kind of hard to have gather all that information and just have that like rush like 90 days out 30 days out like up until that effective date how do you kind of determine how to split effective dates or or renewal dates uh with your your coverages um that that varies as well um some um, so it depends on um, uh, Takeda. Our renewal periods were aligned, uh, so it's it was in line for the following year's budget. Um, at, uh, at Regal, uh, again, I've only been here nine months, and there are some of the reasons why I, we I think it has been split up. Um, so some of our budgeting needs to be approved by our board members by X date. So you know, some of our DNO renewals like middle of the year versus, you know, property workers' compensation spend, we need to know more for the following year's budget for our segment. So that's later on the year, that's the October and November renewal. So I think it does depend on, um, there's, all, there's, there's typically a reason why it's done, but again, there's, there's reasons that it can be a different way. So a lot of companies match it with their fiscal year or calendar year. Um, so that's typically how it's done. Um, but you know, if your fiscal year is January 1st and your insurance renewal is January 1st, you, you may not, the, the final budget, final premium may need to be known at the end of October, end of November, and you may not have the final premium that way. So you have your insurance renewal at 11-1. So you know what the total cost is for the following year. So I think it does vary. Um, some do it to split the workload up. Um, so a lot of, ins- not a lot of, uh, companies have their instruction meals at a one, one, seven, one, four, one, 12, one. So to, they break it up. So you work with underwriters that are, you know, during the less busy time. So it, it really does depend on, um, a various number of things, but, um, unless you have a big team working on your insurance renewals, it's for me, I like to break it up because now you don't, you don't have to provide, you know, um, renewal information and compare quotes for 20 insurance policy you purchase at the year end. So it's, it, it, it does vary. Some insurance, some risk managers like to do it because it's broken up. Some do it because it requires them for budgeting purposes or fiscal year purposes. Yeah, no, thanks for that overview there. Uh, well, Song, thanks for so much for being on and, you know, just covering the, the day-to-day of a risk manager. Definitely a very interesting uh, career path and I, I'm sure the listeners will really appreciate all your time here. No, thanks for the invite. Really enjoy the time. Hopefully, you know, um, we could see each other in person again soon at a, a future insurance event. But again, if you need anything, you know, please let me know. But again, I really had a, a good time. Enjoyed it. Thank you.